Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. We've been in this series called Sermon on the Mount, which I think is going to be uh, one of, has to be one of the most important sermons that has ever been preached. And I know that you've had some homework to reach it, so hopefully you've, you've read Sermon on the Mount a couple of times. But as we talked about, we are family, so I expect some family engagement, all right? I, I expect you holler back at your boy, right? You can say, mm, that was good. You can say, uh, that's sweeter than cornbread. Whatever comes to your mind, just say it, and we're going we're gonna to jump in and jump into the message today as we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. You can turn the Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. Now listen. Some of you who are like OGs and veterans, you know, when you saw me today, you were like, we getting out of church early. This is going to be 15 minutes. It's going to be great. I'm sorry. Not that type of day. I'm sorry. I just want to tell you, I'm setting your expectation. It's going to be the full 30 today, right? <laughs> well, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 38 through 42. This is going to be a little bit of a lengthy passage. So I'm catching you up on your U version plan. I know you're a couple days behind. I got it all today. Today, I'm going to catch it all up. You ready? Here's what it says. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you, on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Jesus is getting crazy. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want, who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as tr true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain to the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for you? Even corrupt task collectors do that much. Today, I just want to speak with you real briefly around the subject of toothless enemies. Toothless enemies. So help me preach real fast. Elbow the person next to you and say, neighbor, do you have your teeth in? Do you have your teeth in? Are your teeth in today? Do you have your teeth in today? We're going to talk about being toothless enemies. And so this won't take super long, but I'm really excited about this. I'll pray and then we'll get started. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you're going to be doing through this message today. The truth is, God, we have enemies that are in our life. And we ask that you would help us learn how to navigate those situations. And, Father, we just pray that you would equip us today with your spirit, that we would walk away knowing you get all the praise and all the glory because of it. We love you. So your mind, we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Because we're fam, I'm going to start with a question that's a little bit vulnerable, all right? Here's my question to you. Do you have an enemy? Do you have like, 
Do you have like an enemy, maybe a frenemy, someone that's kind of a friend, kind of an enemy? Do you have someone like that in your life, right? Like, like I, so I'm not just talking about like our spiritual enemy. If you're super spiritual, you're like Satan. I, I, yeah, Satan's the enemy. I'm not just talking about Satan. Yes, we have a spiritual enemy, but also we have other enemies. I, I'm more talking about the people in your life that annoy you, they enrage you, and maybe they've hurt you. I'm talking about the people in your life that you have to sometimes be friends with, sometimes not be friends with, the people that are close to you and to your family. Do you have enemies? For, for some of us, maybe, maybe it's a sports team, right? I don't know about you, but I know it's going to be a good weekend because Oklahoma Sooners started off well last night. Come on, somebody. Puma Sooner. Um, the rest of you, I don't know because I didn't watch you. But, <laughs> but maybe it's an enemy. Maybe you have a sports enemy. For, for some of us, maybe it's a political party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like so for some of us, you're like, those Republicans, those darn Democrats and the independents, they don't even know what they want, right? Like that's, some of us, we have a political party that may be an enemy for us, and some of us, maybe it's a coworker. My, my question to you would be, what do you do and how do you respond to the enemies that are in your life? How do you respond to the people in your life that you would consider an enemy, like, uh, are they coming to the barbecue tomorrow? Do you want them there? Right? Like, uh, like, how do you respond to them? Are they invited to every aspect of your life? Are they, uh, you know, stiff-armed? Like, what do you do with the people who are in your life? Can I just be honest with you and tell you how I feel about my enemies? I hate them. I'll just be honest with you. I cannot stand them. This is, if I'm real with you, there are people in my life that just get under my skin in the right way. Not only do they annoy me, but some people enrage me. And I've had people in my life that have hurt me. And it's, it could be a range of how I know them. Like, for, like, I have a coworker, for instance, and maybe, maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you have a coworker that no matter what they say in the meeting, you're like, that's dumb. I don't even like this. What are you talking about? Right? Like, they haven't even said much. You're like, this is a great idea. And you know it's a great idea, but you're like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Right? Have you heard this? Like, this, this is how we feel about some of the people. And sometimes, sometimes we have enemies at church. Sometimes, sometimes we have people that we declare to be people that we don't like at church, but we over-spiritualize it. And so we use it like a prayer request. You should pray for so-and-so because I heard they did this this weekend. And they, you just pray for them because they're going through it. They're going, like sometimes we spiritualize it. <laughs> and if we're really real, sometimes it's family. Like it's a sibling or it's a spouse. And look, look, I told you, I've been married 12 years, and so we've experienced some really, really highs and really, really lows, right? And I can just remember times in my life where we sat down and we were on the couch, on opposite sides of the couch, and everything was quiet, and we were just in our own world, and I'd be like, I can't even stand the way you breathe. Why are you breathing like that right now? Have you had that feeling, maybe with the enemy in your life? Maybe it's a sibling. How we treat our siblings, how we treat others in general says more about who we are and who God is than we think. You see, the, the choices that you and I make towards the people who we like and the people that we don't like says a lot about us and says a lot about God. So there has to be a better way to treat those individuals in our life. And this is what Jesus knows. This is why Jesus gives us this passage. And as he starts off, he says something like, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say don't resist the evil. What? 
Actually, when I first read this, I can remember being in high school, and I thought to myself, because really what the text is doing is it's helping us to mitigate justice. It's helping us to understand how high or how low our justice can go. Because back then it was actually a really good thing because you can imagine in certain caste systems, if someone was richer or had a, a different area of society for you and, and they were, if someone was rich and someone who was poor, let's say took your eye, in unjust societies, you could take their life for that. But the Bible is actually saying, no, 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 you're actually equals. That if someone takes your eye, you can take up to the equivalent of an eye and no more. But by Jesus' time, it wasn't just an option, it was your right. You should take the eye. And I started wondering, like, what do I do if, like, the person who takes my eye is blind? <laughs> like, what do I, like, you know, like, how do I really get them back? And, and if you get that joke, you understand just the nature of this idea, which is we really want the people who have hurt us to hurt just as bad as we hurt. If you've ever been in a serious situation, you know that the people that have taken our eyes or injured us emotionally or spiritually, that those people we want to take from them just as much. But the problem with that is if we go around taking everyone's eyes and everyone's teeth, we're going to have a world full of blind and toothless people. But the second part of that is that you and I are often other people's enemies as well. And so that means we become the toothless enemies. What if there were a, a separate way? So Jesus, he encourages us to think differently about how we think about the people that are in our life. And through this text, I think he would encourage us to take three choices to help, to help do different things and respond differently to the people that we would categorize as our enemy. And so let's talk about this first choice, which is simply this, choose to turn over take. Choose to turn over take. Choose to turn the other cheek rather than take the shame. As Jesus begins to talk right after the eye for the eye Verse, he simply says this. He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer them the other cheek. <laughs> and this has to be one of the most misquoted verses in the New Testament. Like behind the one where, judges, where, where Justin's preached about judging. Like I think that's probably one of the most, right? This is, this is right there following that. Because sometimes we take this verse um, to kind of mean like naive hope. Like, oh, you're going with the bully and it, that bully's in your life, just turn the other cheek and maybe they'll stop. Or, or, or you've had this great injustice, whatever happened, to just turn the other cheek instead. But I think once we get into the context of what's happening in the Jewish society, I think we'll see that our response is actually a lot different than that. Because what would happen is if you were a superior... You had the right in order to condemn or to give shame to someone who was underneath you, a subordinate, to slap them. And that was a form of correction or condemnation or shame. And so when you see these words of the things that Jesus could say, he talks about this idea of if you get slapped on the right cheek. And the reason why that's important is because if you could hold your right cheek real fast, it's on this side, right? How would I slap your right cheek? I, if you were normal, you would like left hand, right? If I wanted to slap your right. But in that time, 
No one used their left hands to do anything that is of normal stature because the left hand was considered unclean. Because the left hand was what you used to take care of sanitary issues. And so the whole society would say things like, you don't eat with your left hand, you don't t- handshake, you don't fist bump, you don't do any of that with your left hand because your left hand would declare things as unclean. So instead, what they would do is they would use the right hand. And in order to hit your right cheek, you'd have to go from the backhand to the right cheek. And the reason why you did it with the backhand is because the backhand was for subordinates. But the open hand was for someone who was of equal status with you. And so if you were both owners and you slapped someone in the, in the face, that's a little bit of a legal issue because you just slapped someone of the equal status of you, right? And so what's happening here is Jesus is saying, imagine that you yourself are an owner of a business and someone is stepping out of line and, and you dislike how they've done something. Or maybe you're just mad and you go to slap them with the right hand. And as you slap them, you expect them to do the same thing you would do with if your owner slapped you, that you would coward or that you would feel corrected or that you would take on that shame. And isn't it true that the people that we consider enemies in our life are people who have a tendency to slap shame into our life? That the people that sometimes we once considered friends or considered loved ones are the same people that they hit us out of the blue with things. And it just feels like we take on this immense shame and our identity becomes those things. Can I tell you an example in my own life? Last year, about a year from today, my identity was stolen on the internet. Someone took over my Instagram, all right? Someone snagged your boy's Instagram, and it was a serious ordeal (laughs) because it actually happened. I told you tomorrow's my daughter's birthday. It happened tomorrow, meaning it happened the morning I was taking my wife to the hospital to have our child. Someone gets a hold of my Facebook first, and I go, and I'm like, oh, I got to fix this. So I fix it, not knowing that you can access the person's Instagram from their Facebook. I'm telling you this, by the way, so you can set up your two-factor authentication. I'm helping you. I'm helping you right now. So it doesn't happen to you. So later on that day, I come to realize I got friends who called me, and they're like, hey, you're making $100,000? I said, who's making $100,000? They said, you, you posted on your Instagram. I said, I didn't, I didn't post it on my Instagram. And I go to go look, and this person is saying, I make $100,000. If you give me $1,000, I can turn it and flip it into $10,000. I'm like, that's a great idea, but that's not me. Sure enough, I go to log into my Instagram, gone. I have no access to it. As a matter of fact, Instagram didn't even give me access to it until like a month ago. I just got this thing back. And although it was an ordeal and partly funny and people made fun of me all the time for, like, how's that Bitcoin going? Like, that's how people talk to me. The problem was this person defrauded people I know out of something like $7,000. One of them being a high school student who just graduated, was given $1,000 for graduation, but needed more money to go to school and gave him $1,000. And they can't find this person to get the money back. And what was a funny situation, honestly, if I'm honest with you, became shame for me. How could I be the guy 
who got his Instagram stolen. And I have people who are in my life that are trusting me. And I allowed this to happen. And, and this person is texting people saying, hello, beloved. By the way, if you get a message from me that says, beloved, it's not me. It's not me. I don't even, I don't call anyone beloved. Hello, beloved. Give me $1,000 because I'm your pastor and you should trust me. This is what this guy's saying. Stole money. And I went through such a difficult time because I just felt like that's like, it's my fault. And I talk to people on a weekly basis who go through situations which they may have faced someone that abandoned them and they say, that's my fault. They may have been cheated on and they say, that's all my fault. They may have experienced something that was negative and the enemy in their life slapped them and gave them the shame. But Jesus' response to that is not just that we take the shame, but actually that we turn the other cheek. So you can imagine as you slap this person as a subordinate and you expect them to coward and take the shame, they turn the other cheek to you. What does that make you do? Now they're saying, hit me on the left cheek. But how do you hit on the left cheek? If you go to hit with the right hand, you will now be saying that that person is equal to you. And that person has an identity that's greater than just being a subordinate, and it would be illegal for you to do that. And if you did it with your left hand, you'd be saying to everyone around you, your choice is now unclean, which is not the right choice. And so rather than Jesus saying, just take the shame, Jesus is instead saying, turn the other cheek to show that your identity isn't in the shame that they've given you, but it's found in Christ. And that the things that you've been through don't have to stick to you, but you can stand against it defiantly, knowing that there's mercy knowing that you can stand against injustice. So turning the other cheek doesn't say we don't chase justice. It says we chase justice with mercy and strong. Much like you would see some of the individuals in the civil rights era who would have sit-ins and they would not move as people were screaming and slapping them. It's the same picture that Jesus has when he says, as you turn the other cheek, saying, you may have slapped me and I won't allow it again. But also, I'm not going to slap you back. And that strong mercy is the thing that brings transformation. And although those in your life have tried to put shame on you, through Jesus, he says, shame off of you. So rather than turn, rather than take the shame, the first encouragement is choose to turn. Choose to turn the other cheek. Here's the second thing. The second point. Is choose generosity over animosity. Choose generosity over animosity. Of ancient arch enemies, the Romans and the Jews would be like top ten. Because they hated each other. And more, the Jews hated the Romans. Because the Romans were occupying the Jewish land. And was having to make them subordinate to them. So, a Roman soldier had the legal right to go to any person over 12 years old and say, this mule I've been riding on that's been carrying my things, that mule is tired. And I need you to now give my mule alleviation and to carry these baggages. Can you imagine that? And so the Jewish people having to live through that, now hear Jesus saying these words. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for one mile, she was legally allowed to do, carry it two miles. Can you, can you imagine that? 
Just imagine you have a 12-year-old son. A Roman soldier looks at your son and says, you are not even better than my mule, carry my bag. And you have to watch your 12-year-old son carry the bag of a soldier for over a mile. The type of animosity, the anger, the generational anger, the frustration that you have for a whole people group, even though not every Roman soldier did it, it doesn't matter. Roman soldiers are people that do these things. And now you have this, this anger in which the soldiers think that you hate them. The truth is, as a Jew, you hate the soldiers because you think they hate you too. And what Jesus says in response is rather than hate them, what if you chose to show them generosity? What would happen is if the next time a soldier came to you and said, carry my things, you said, no, no, I got it, I'll take it. And you walked it for a whole mile. And although he's expecting you to do this begrudgingly and, and angry the whole time and maybe cussing under your breath like many of us do when we have to do these things we don't want to do, he's expecting you to do that. And when you get to the mile marker, he's legally required to tell you to put the things down. And instead, you say, no, I'm going to carry it for another one. Here's what that soldier may be feeling. The first thing he may be feeling is don't get me in trouble, right? Because now he's at risk of going to jail because he can't obligate you to go another mile. And if other soldiers see that you've gone a second mile, suddenly he's at risk of going to jail himself. But also, that person begins to say, you don't hate me? Why are you choosing to do this? And suddenly Jesus is demonstrating to us that that person that was once a captive now has held captivated the captor. And the whole one mile left, they're able to say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And I carry this because he carried my sins. And I'm walking with you because I've seen him walk with me. And the things I faced in my life, I didn't deserve his mercy, but he gave it to me and I can now carry with you. And you now see this idea that generosity can change the heart of even the strongest soldier. And so my question is, when's the last time, instead of animosity, you showed your enemy generosity? Just the other day, I was talking to one of my friends who was explaining to me, I got this, I got this boss. And he keeps asking me to do his own reports that he's supposed to do himself. And then when he goes to present it, I get none of the credit. What should I do? And I said, go the extra mile. He said, I hate this. That's literally what he said. He said, I hate this. And it's true because this is not an easy teaching. This is difficult for us. But God has not left you alone to do this by yourself. He's given you the Holy Spirit so that you can walk with those people who are the hurting people in your life and demonstrate to them that God went the second mile for you so you can go for them. And so in this idea of how we treat other people affects what people think about us and affects how people see God, one of the choices that we can make is we can choose to not only just turn over take, we can choose generosity over animosity. And the third is we can choose prayer over declare. Prayer over declare.
As Jesus is talking to his disciples, he arrives at this final point in which he says, you've heard the law that says, love your enemy and hate, or excuse me, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When Jesus starts and he says, love your neighbor, he's actually quoting an Old Testament verse. You actually see Jesus say this over and over again throughout his ministry. Love your neighbor. Neighbor means anyone that's around you. So it means the people that are in your life are considered your neighbor, and you're supposed to love them in the same manner in which God loved you. So when Jesus starts and he says, love your neighbor, he's quoting the Old Testament. But the next part of that that says, hate your enemies, that's not found in the Bible. Jesus is not quoting anything there. He's actually expressing our heart. Because he knows that you and I have this uncanny knack of turning our neighbors into enemies. People who are close to us, we declare them to be enemies. And when you declare them to be an enemy, you can hate them. You can treat them differently. I know I do this in my life because, um, because I'm still learning how to drive good. <laughs> and I, I drive way too fast, and my wife gets on to me all the time about this. And I don't know about you. Maybe, this is, maybe you're a better Christian than I am. God's still working on me. But if I'm driving on the highway and you cut me off or you don't put your blinker on or anything like that, I am going to declare you as the worst driver in the history of all highway driving, right? I'm like, why are you doing that? You're the worst. Why do you even have a driver's? Get out of this lane. Why are you in this lane? Get out of this lane. This is the fast lane. Am I the only one that feels this way, right? What do we do with that person? You don't know that person. That could be the sweetest old lady in the world. And you just call them the rudest person you've ever met, right? Like it's, it's because we just have this tendency of declaring the people in our life that do things we don't necessarily agree with or don't necessarily like as enemies. So they get our anger. And they get our disrespect. And they get our avoidance. Instead, Jesus says to them, says to us, they're not just your enemy, they're your neighbor. Because the truth is you and I are toothless enemies. We would want to be treated with the same love that we ought to be sharing to other people. And as Jesus is telling this, he, he doesn't just say, by the way, that we ought to love our neighbors for their sake. He actually says we should love them for our sake. He says, after you pray for those who persecute you in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. What he's really saying is, when you learn to love your enemies, you're more like Christ than in any other time. That when we decide that we're going to show our enemies the love that they don't deserve, we are being most like Christ because he did the same for us. Because he himself... Turned the other cheek. He took the pain that he did not deserve. And then, instead of giving you the animosity that you and I deserve because of our sins, he chose to instead replace that with generosity, his own life. 
so that we, the Bible would call enemies of God before, can now be called children of God. And when we do that to the people around us, we are being most like Christ. That's the choice that we make today. Not for our own sake. That the world could see the love of Christ within us. That you could experience the same love from those around you. So with eyes closed and heads bowed. No one looking around. There's two responses this morning. First response is this. Maybe you didn't know that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for you. Or maybe you knew and you haven't surrendered your life to him. And today's the day that you want to do that. There is no better day. Right now is the time that you can surrender to that love and receive that love. If you're willing to surrender your life to Jesus today, when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand. We're not going to embarrass you. We're going to say a prayer together. If that's you, one, two, three, right now, would you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. We are all going to say a prayer together, and you're going to repeat after me. It's not just about the words of the prayer, but it's about the heart behind the words. And if you say this, you're going to receive the great love that God has for you and be in a right relationship with him. So everyone repeat after me and say, God, I know I sinned against you. I know you sent your son to die for my sins. So I turn away from those sins to turn towards you, to receive your sacrifice and the new life you offer me so I can live for you from this day forward. Second response, eyes closed and heads bowed. If you have someone in your life that you have declared as an enemy. And it's time that either you begin to pray for them or instead of taking the shame, you turn the other cheek or that you begin to show generosity to. If that's you and you, you say today is the day I'm going to begin doing that. When I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. you put that hand over your heart and allow me to pray for you. God, we are so thankful that you have led the way in your example of your love for us. That while we were yet still sinners, you died for us. And having experienced that great love, that rich mercy that you extend to us, God, help us to do the same for the people in our life that may not deserve it. Help us not to take on the shame of the things that have been said to us or done to us or the situations we've been into, but instead to find our identity in you. Help us to be generous and loving and caring to the people who maybe ask too much of us rather than animosity. And God, help us to get in our prayer closet and pray for those who've declared as enemies that you get all the praise and all the glory. We love you. It's your mind that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give a hand clap to everyone who raised their hands? We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.